Amen. Good to gather together again with all of you. Um, If you were with us last week, we were in Matthew chapter 19. And it was where Jesus was really driving home the idea that none of us can stand before God and think we earned our way there. He was trying to liberate them from the mentality that I compare myself to somebody else and if I'm better than you, that makes me good. He used the illustration with the, with the Pharisees of divorce. And he basically goes, you're nitpicking over who should be able to get a divorce and who shouldn't. And he goes, look, as far as I'm concerned, if any marriage fails, it was because of the hardness of hearts. So you don't get to brag about being better than somebody else because, well, they had different grounds than you did. Then the rich young ruler came along and he wanted, he asked, how good do I have to be to get to heaven? And Jesus goes, well, follow the law. He goes, I already do. And he goes, okay, then sell everything you have and give it to the poor and come and follow me. And he walked away. And what he was trying to show is, hey, there aren't any of us that can be good enough. In fact, he said, the disciples go, It's like impossible for somebody to get saved. And he goes, exactly. It's impossible for you to be good enough. But with God, all things are possible. It's such an important lesson to learn. But then at the end of the chapter, the disciples showed that they don't totally get it. Because they're like, okay, it's impossible. But we've given up everything to follow you. What's in it for us? What do we get? They're still understanding life and God transactionally. It's like it's a deal that we're going to make. And Jesus goes, well, you know, when you get to heaven, you'll be able to sit on thrones, which proves in heaven they they will have bathrooms. But, you know, (laughs) it still kind of left them, I don't know what's going on, but he realized these guys still think that they are entitled to something. They want to know what they get. Even when it comes to heaven, And that shows they don't understand. We're all in this alike. We don't have a right to look down on somebody else. And we really shouldn't be looking up at anyone else either except for God. And so in order to drive this home, after they had played the OG card, you know, we're the first of the disciples, so therefore what do we get? Now in chapter 20, Jesus, well, at the end of chapter 19, remember he told them, you know, all this is going to happen, but he said, many who are first will be last and the last first. In other words, it's not going to be what you think, and you can't just lock in your guarantee of who you are in the end because you're going to be surprised who's in heaven and who isn't. You're going to be surprised at who is considered greater than somebody else while they're in heaven. It's just not always what it looks like. And then to really drive this home here in chapter 20 of Matthew, he tells a weird story that in a way it feels like he's presenting a standard that's kind of unfair. And they thought they would have thought it was unfair too, but he's making a point. For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. And when he had agreed with the laborers for a denarius a day, which was a normal day's pay for a day's work, and 
you know, 12 hour day. Um, so he sent them into the vineyard. So far, so good. But three hours later, he went to Home Depot and he saw some guys standing around <laughs> that needed work. And he goes, hey, come on, work in my vineyard. And he goes, I'll just pay you whatever's fair. So he didn't really nail it down on a price, but they were just happy to have the work. And he said, you know, go into the vineyard, whatever it's right, I'll give you. Again, he went out about the sixth hour and again at the ninth hour and did the same thing. And then the eleventh hour, there's one day left of daylight. And he sees some guys standing around. Hey, what are you guys standing here for? And they said, well, nobody hired us. He said to them, you also go into the vineyard and whatever is right, you will receive. Now you can imagine the day laborers, what they were like, who were after 11 hours, still nobody had hired them. But he goes, I'll hire you for an hour, then it'll be dark. So, verse 8, when evening had come, the owner of the vineyard said to his steward, call the laborers and give them their wages, beginning with the last to the first. So he said, let's pay those guys that only worked an hour first. And when those came who were hired about the 11th hour, they each received a denarius, a full day's wage for guys that worked an hour. Now, two things. First of all, that's ridiculously generous. But as you'll see in the parable, the guys that just worked 12 hours, at first they're like, what? They're getting a denarius? But then they're thinking, that means he's really going to pay us, man. We're the ones that were there old school from the beginning. And so the first came, they thought they'd received more. Once it got down to them, and they each got a denarius as well. And when they had received it, they complained against the landowner. And you can understand saying, these last men have worked only one hour and you made them equal to us who have borne the burden and the heat of the day? But he answered one of them and said, friend, I'm not doing you anything wrong. Didn't you agree with me to work all day for a denarius? Now take what is yours and go your way. I wish to give to this last man the same As to you, is it not lawful for me to do what I wish with my own things? Or is your eye evil because I am good, so the last will be first, and the first last? For many are called, but few are chosen. So Jesus tells the story, and you're listening to it, you're like, that really doesn't seem right. But I don't know why I should feel like The master being more generous to somebody but being fair to me, why does that bug me? And it's because I feel entitled. I think that I deserve more than somebody else. And again, this flows from chapter 19 and the idea that you're looking for a way to believe that you're better than others. And so he uses this illustration to say, sometimes it doesn't work that way. Sometimes life isn't fair. Sometimes somebody else gets a better deal than you. It's the way you feel if you've just got a ticket recently for speeding, and then you're driving down the road, and somebody's like flying by you at 100 miles an hour. You're like, where are the cops now? What is going on here? And you kind of, maybe you don't pray it, but 
you're kind of like, I would love to see them pulled over. I would even love, eh, I shouldn't say that, but back in the day, you know, if they went off the edge, I wouldn't be that, you know, horror stricken. You know, that's the way we look. I don't want somebody to get a better deal than me because the truth is I want to earn it and I want to get everything that's coming to me. And so therefore, I am entitled. I'm one of the old schools. I'm one of the originals. And I deserve respect. And I deserve more than this. But now, Jesus tells the story. And, and uh, then he told them, by the way, I'm about to go to Jerusalem. And I'm going to get killed. And then I'm going to rise from the dead. And... Their mind is still on what's in it for us. And so James and John get their mom to go talk to Jesus, but they're like tagging along with her. And she came with her sons and knelt down and said, hey, Jesus, can I ask you a favor? And he said to her, what do you wish? Verse 21, she said to him, grant that these two sons of mine may sit, one on your right hand, and the other on your left in your kingdom. She's still wanting her boys to be special. What mom doesn't, in a way. But you're talking to Jesus. Are you listening to anything that he's been saying? Do you even understand that the one on his left hand is the father when he's sitting on his throne in heaven? What makes you think that you get better seats than even the other ten disciples? Because you ask first, there's this sense of, I just want to be the best. And I'm sure if you had questioned her on this a little bit, she'd be, I just want them to be as close to Jesus as possible. There are people that have that same phony mentality today. I'm just trying to be close to Jesus. But I want to make sure that you know who I am. I want to make sure that you see that I get credit for who I am. But Jesus said, you don't know what you're asking. Verse 22, are you able to drink the cup that I'm about to drink and be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with? James and John goes, yeah, sure, no problem. And they didn't complete, he just said he's going to die and rise from the dead, but they're still not thinking in those terms. So he said to them, you will indeed, verse 23, drink my cup. Truth is, you will be killed. And you'll be baptized with the baptism that I'm baptized with. But to sit on my right hand and on my left is not mine to give. But it's for those for whom it is prepared by my Father. And this is funny. The other ten disciples heard it. And they were greatly displeased with James and John. Because they were like, why didn't we think of that? Why didn't we? Who do you think you are to be better than me? See, they all are demonstrating that they don't understand what greatness is in the kingdom at all. They still think it's about you. They still think somehow that by being one of the originals that this makes you somebody special. But Jesus said, guys, come here. Called them to himself, verse 25, and said, look, you know, and I do, that the rulers of the Gentiles Lord it over them, and those who are great exercise authority over them. Yet it shall not be so among you, but whoever desires 
to become great among you, let him be your servant. And whoever desires to be first among you, let him be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. And then they went on as they proceeded uh, you know, out of Jericho. A lot of people were following them. There were these two blind guys that were yelling, hey, heal us. And people are like, you're not important. And he goes, wait, no, they are. He goes, you guys want to be healed? Yep. And he healed them. You don't know their names. You didn't make a big deal about it. It's almost like he's saying, this is what service looks like. That I notice two blind guys and that I do what I can do to help them. And Jesus, in verse 34, he had compassion and he touched their eyes. Their eyes received sight and they followed him. So there are some really important truths in this passage. This is a critical juncture as Jesus is explaining to the disciples what it is to follow him. And he doesn't have much time to get the point through. And right now, they are just like Pharisees. They're just using a different set of rules, a different standard as to where the source of their pride really is. And so he lays this parable out and he gives them these instructions about servanthood. One of the first things that we need to remember from this chapter, if you don't remember this, then nothing else will even matter. But in this parable, he makes it clear, sometimes life just isn't fair. Sometimes somebody else gets a better break than you. Sometimes you bought something and then your neighbor bought the same thing and got a better deal than you. That's the way life is. It is not a merit-based system where everyone who deserves it the most has the most. All you have to do, look at who is in power in our country and ask yourself, are these really the most deserving leaders that we could come up with? I don't care whether it's your city council member or the, the person who is in charge of the water department or the person who is you know, leading our country. Life isn't fair. Things just happen, and a lot of times they happen in a way that you go, wow, what happened there? The reason it's so important to understand that is you will be endlessly distracted if you get obsessed with whether or not you are getting a fair deal, whether or not people understand you, respect you, think of you in a good way, or whether life is giving you what you deserve. What you deserve is hell, okay? So we're all ahead of the game. But life just isn't fair. And if you look at what happens to other people compared to what happens to you, and you're worried about whether it's fair, you don't even get out of the starting blocks in terms of really living life. But from this parable, Jesus is addressing the most serious problem they had, and that was the problem of entitlement. They believed that they deserved a certain level of respect, a certain level of reward, a certain level of comparison. And this is the same thing that the Pharisees were doing. This is the same thing that the rich young ruler was doing. Now his own disciples are having the same mentality of going, excuse me, but I am one of the original 12. 
It always cracks me up when, you know, being around Calvary Chapel for a long time, when I meet people that think they're really somebody because, oh, they were back there back then and they did things and they're somebody special. It's like, congratulations, what is it? You, you can have a seat on the throne. I'll go in the bathroom and take it. But you're not special because you've been somewhere a long time. You're not special because of your resume. You are playing down the fact that none of us is righteous. We are all in the same boat. We need a savior. I don't care who you were. And sometimes the more people brag about their accomplishments, the less successful they actually are. People who are truly successful generally take on a certain humility because they feel like, I can't believe I've been here. The most successful people that I've ever known are not the ones who would brag about it. The people who brag about their accomplishments are the people that since through their squandered their fortune, now they're still living in the past. It's like the greatest you know, humans are not the ones who are 50 years later talking about how they were quarterback on the football team. Or, you know, they, they did this or they did that. It's like, if you're already living in the past, you're showing an incredible insecurity, but you don't understand life. And you certainly don't understand Jesus. I mean, there are a lot of people who've written, like, Christian autobiographies about their stories. And when they wrote them, it was before the Internet. Now you go back at some of those books that you thought, wow, what an impressive person And it's like, just Google them. And you realize, no, they fake this stuff. It's insecurity that makes them want to puff themselves up as being secure. That's a fact of life. And Jesus is getting there. No, in my kingdom, it isn't supposed to be this way. In my kingdom, it is not to be the way that, as he says, the Gentiles do it. Building power and holding on to entitlement. We talk about the younger generation being entitled. And it is amusing when there are people who think that they deserve a, a lot when they haven't really done anything. But what's even more tragic is people who actually have lived a good, solid life and worked their tails off and do everything they can do, and what they get for it is a sense of entitlement. That isn't success. That is not, because that ultimately makes you insecure. You get your feelings so hurt when somebody doesn't respect what you have accomplished. And guess what? Check out Twitter. People will trash anybody. And it's really interesting to watch when somebody who's accomplished a lot and then some nobody tweets something against them. I mean, you look at Kevin Durant, one of the greatest, well, okay, but one of the greatest basketball players in all of history. And yet... Some, you know, 400-pound guy living in his mom's basement tweets something about Kevin Durant, and he feels like, oh, yeah, he's blasting him. It's like, do you ever get to the point where you just go, you know what? I'm not threatened by what people think of me. My life speaks for itself. That insecurity, that's what Jesus is talking about here. (laughs) Yeah, you are my disciples. Don't worry. It's going to work out well for you. But don't walk with a sense of entitlement. Because as soon as you feel entitled, now you are at the mercy of somebody else. You're at the mercy of what they think of you. Why should I be a slave to other people's opinions of me? 
that will always make you weak. That will always make you miss out on some of the greatest opportunities in life because your entitlement gives everyone else the power over you. Their applause, their opinions, what they say, that becomes the core of your own identity. And Jesus doesn't want his disciples to be victims of that entitlement mentality. What he offers in exchange for that is servanthood. He goes, nah, you don't do it that way. What you will find out that one of the greatest lessons in life is that the best thing that you can do is to serve others. That when you serve others, that ends up being fulfilling to you, but it also takes you out of this you know, this process of trying to earn something and then being a victim of whatever anyone thinks of you. And it's a trap. It's, and so he says, my kingdom is not that way. Now, sadly, there are plenty of people who think that the church should be run like a good business. You know, and they write books, Jesus CEO and all this. And, and they completely ignore what Jesus says, but they go, no, what we need to do is build things really big. Well, And there are also people who claim that, oh, it's all about service to me. And yet something that you do as a service can turn into an entitlement really easily. I mean, I can be, most people who start out in ministry are just, I just want to serve God. But then eventually you start to think, I do deserve a certain amount of respect I do deserve a certain amount of attention. I don't like it when people say things that are against me. And this is one of the reasons why in our church I try not to have like a million different ministries. Because I've learned there's a thing that they call silo ministries where a church just becomes a whole, they have a ministry for everything. And so, and yet the ministry for that thing then takes on its own power structure. And there's nothing quite like people who, oh, we just we use a room to do knitting. And then all of a sudden it's this knitting monster that if, if, there's some, if you don't promote it, then that's why God's not using it. And then the, you're, you're scared to death when you see the knitting master coming towards you because like, what's she going to be complaining about now? What is it? And all of these ministries, the paintball ministry and all these things, They all take on a life of their own. And what happens? Oh, I'm just serving, but you better announce me. You better give me attention. You better have a strong opinion of me. You want to know whether you're really serving, like Jesus says? Ask yourself, what if I get fired? What if they tell me they don't want me to serve anymore? Think about servants. Think about slaves is if you set them free, they don't go, wait, what am am I supposed to do now? No, a real slave, when you set them free, they're like, wow, this is awesome. And that's the way we should be with everything we do for the Lord. And it's not always easy to to live this out, but like for me as a pastor, I thought of this, what if all of a sudden I come in on Sunday and nobody's here? Everybody's gone. Should I feel like, what about me? Or do I go, this is awesome, I'm going to have Sundays off. (laughs) So it is with everything that we volunteer for. 
Am I looking to get something in return? It was funny. We have VBS coming up in another week, and, and uh, so Diana's been working really hard getting ready for that. Well, then this morning, Jerry told Diana, he goes, hey, I set up a table so people last minute can sign up to help with VBS. And she goes, well, he goes, is that a problem? She goes, yeah, because we're not going to have enough T-shirts to accommodate extra volunteers because we already ordered the T-shirts. What a, what a perfect example. Are you like, I want to help with VBS, but I'm going to be really pissed if I don't get a shirt. You know, I'm going to be like, why am I even doing this? Because you don't appreciate me enough to, I'm sure they'll give me a shirt. You can have mine. But service without a t-shirt, that's what Jesus is talking about. You don't need to get attention you don't need to be rewarded. In fact, you appreciate it when it doesn't happen. Entitlement? What does somebody owe you because of your vast experience or your great giftedness? Jesus goes, not in my kingdom. It's not that way at all. That's the way it is in the world. What I want you to realize is sometimes it's not fair. In the end, you're going to be glad that you followed me, but you're really on the same level with everyone else. And sometimes somebody else is going to have a good day and you're going to have a bad day. It's just the way it goes. I mean, I know I always, I joke that as a pastor, my number one job as a pastor is to make sure that I don't become, I don't make the church for me. Like the church just doesn't reflect everything that I care about because that's dangerous when I make it my church. But my other job is to make sure that you don't make it your church that I fight off all the ambitious people who want to plug an idea that they have because it's going to make them special. And that's what he's talking about here. The disciples didn't yet understand it. A little bit of suffering and they would. Once you finally get to the book of Acts and you read the epistles, you realize the disciples figured out it really is about serving Anonymity is actually a good thing. See, I, people criticize me plenty. You know, anybody who's a leader, you get criticized. And I'm not going to lie. It sometimes hurts my feelings when people do it. But God balances it out so that I get enough encouragement to, I get enough criticism to keep me from thinking I'm all that. And then I get enough encouragement just to keep me from killing myself. And it's a, pretty good, it's a pretty good balance overall, you know. And somebody this morning after first service already said, oh, Dave, I want to encourage you to keep you alive. And I go, okay, I won't kill myself this week, I promise. But it's this different order that we have to constantly think about or we will be fighting and striving and pushing to turn our lives into something that's productive, something that will self-actualize us. The truth is, and those of you who are older, many of you have figured this out, some of you haven't, but I read a book this week by a guy named James Hillman. He's a brilliant psychologist professor. He was a professor at Yale University, but he's in his 80s now, and he wrote a book on aging. And he said, eventually you figure out the point of aging is to grow your character. And he said, that's why people, when they get older, they can't remember stuff recently, 
But man, when you're older, you can think back on your life and you have a sense of what mattered and what didn't. And you can begin to, you know, the, the Greek word sophos for wisdom is a word that originally came from a word that meant navigating for a ship. The way you steer a ship, it's the way airplanes used to be, but now they're much more technical than this. But, you know, it's like, okay, I have a destination. I see I'm off three degrees, so I go three degrees to the left. Then I end up, I'm going too far left. I negotiate. Well, that's what he says that life is kind of like. You start to make sense of it. I know some young people who learn this, and I know some old people that have never learned it. But in the end, what Jesus was trying to say is, the reason service is important is, now you're thinking about the kind of person that you are. You're not defining yourself based on how well you snow other people. Sometimes that might be a part of your job, but part of your life is to recognize. It's one of the reasons probably why Jesus told these guys, spend some time with kids. Because kids and healthy old people, they're not as worried about, you know, ambition and what people, you know, who I become and what I... Adults have to train kids to think that way. In general, kids love to serve. Healthy elderly people should want to serve. They shouldn't want to get attention for it because you look back on your life and I would bet you the times that you treasure the most were the times when you made a difference in a really limited way. And it was because you were following Jesus and actually serving. I, you know, I was thinking this week about my life. I'm like, okay, what do I look back on and go, wow, that was really, that was powerful, that was special. I think of time with my family. I think of, you know, there are times when I, I love to preach. When I was up in front of a stadium full of people, I was up at the amphitheater, thousands of people listening. You know what? Not a highlight. Somebody sent me a picture of me doing that. Recently, I'm like, yeah, it's not great. Not a great memory, really. A great memory would be like when there was a little girl, Kelly Overby, who her kidneys were failing and she was in the hospital and I would visit her most days and just sit and talk to her, trying to keep her alive, trying to keep her motivated. I taught her how to pick locks. I told her stories. She told me every episode of Seinfeld, which I had never watched. <laughs> And now I can't watch Seinfeld because I'm just like, yeah, Kelly already showed me that episode by describing it. But I think that time one-on-one with somebody, that seems way more productive. And I didn't do it and then go write a book about ministering to people who are in the hospital. You know, it's like, it's been so far. I forget how many years, but she sends me a a greeting every year when her, it's her kid's birthday. She calls her kidney her kid, and she talks about how I helped keep her alive during that time, and that's special. But think about Jesus. Um, Jesus, to me, if you were going to encapsulate everything that he said, you can even leave out the Sermon on the Mount. How about a conversation he had with Nicodemus in John 3? where he explained, you need to be born again, where he explained to him, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believed in him wouldn't perish but have everlasting life. God didn't come into the world to condemn the world. He came in to save the world. It was a conversation with one guy at night and nobody's around. Then you go to John 4. 
the conversation that he had with the Samaritan woman at the well. It's just the two of them. It's not a big sermon. It's an incredible conversation. If you take John 3 and John 4 together, you can encapsulate the greatest things that Jesus ever said to two people in two chapters. Your life is the same way, I promise you. The best, most fruitful times in your life will be the times when you are serving somebody. Not when you're trying to get an audience, not when you're trying to hope that something really great happens or you're going to get a lot of attention. Because in his kingdom, this is the way it works. You serve. And when you serve in a way that no one can really pay you back for it or compensate, when you get older, and this is what in Hillman's book he talks about, life ultimately is about discovering your character. And it's why we remember things the way we do when we get older and we, certain things we don't remember. Because the things we remember help us to adjust our perspective and realize, wow, those were the valuable times. So when we're younger, if we're wise, we begin to make those same adjustments. We look at ourselves, we can look at the last year and say, what is it that happened that I think I won't forget? What is it that happened that I feel like that was really strategic? That was really rewarding, and I didn't really get any big credit for it. There's a real danger when you serve, is that then you can turn your service into something that you think entitles you. And that's where sometimes, and if you don't listen, God will bring you down just so that you can figure out, no, that's not, that's not how it is at all. So look for a way to serve. Don't look for a way for, I mean, there are huge corporations that their whole ministry is to needy people. But the truth is, the organization is there for some very rich, powerful people who it's kind of about them. Jesus warned us against this. Just be a servant. Jesus never created anything big. In fact, when the church became most organized, most powerful, and most structured, was in the 4th century with Constantine, when it became the official government of the known world, really. Christianity and the Roman government go, we can do this together. Was it powerful? Yes. Did it almost destroy Christianity and the world? Yeah. The people with power are not the people who understand Jesus' character. The best Christians you know aren't famous Christians. They're people that you've probably never heard of who are quietly living their lives the way Jesus said, this is the way life is to be led. So let's commit ourselves to let go of the entitlement Okay, life isn't fair. You don't deserve anything. Stop thinking that whatever you've done in the past means anything today. Don't be the fat ex-quarterback, you know, can't stop talking about it. Be somebody who goes, I'm just looking for a way to help today. I told this, Jerry told me after first service, like a ton of people signed up for VBS. And I said, either they don't want those t-shirts or, you know, they're like, Maybe this would be cool to do it, and it'll be a good, healthy reminder for me. Find a way to serve. It doesn't have to be at our church. 
doesn't have to be in some Christian thing. Who can you serve? Where can you make a difference? That's what Jesus said. This is how my kingdom works. And it will, when we learn this lesson, it will deliver us from the thing that will destroy us. And that is our addiction to power, our addiction to approval, our tendency to let our lives be defined by what other people think of us. That is not a strength. That is a vulnerability that is so destructive that if you're going to follow Jesus, this is how he says you do it. He wanted his disciples to learn that. Eventually, they did. They learned it and they served. They died. But they would look back and go, we had some great opportunities. Peter will go, I'll never forget going to Cornelius' house. I didn't want to. That was awesome. And that's all of us. Opportunities to serve are there. But beware when your service turns into entitlement. Nobody owes me anything. And if you can live your life saying nobody owes me anything, and the fact is that if there's anything that I'm doing, if it's taken away, I'm going to run and celebrate like a, like a freed slave. Great, then I don't have to do that anymore. Where else can I serve? What else can I do? Let's pray. Lord, thank you for reminding us of these eternal truths. This world has a way of turning us into the world. We've been guilty of this over and over again. Help us to follow you by releasing our entitlements and by choosing to serve whatever simple way you give us, not looking for anything in return. In fact, really being glad when we don't get anything in return because then that keeps us as true servants. God, if there's anybody here today who has never really come to grips with this and decided to come to you, no strings attached, to say I am willing to let go of all my big ideas and I will just follow you. I need to be forgiven. And if you offer that, amen. Lord, help them to make that decision right now that life starts over today for each of us. Help us to look more like you than the world. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's all stand.